Welcome to AAC Tip Talks, a series offering tips for professionals and partners supporting people who use augmentative and alternative communication. Each Tip Talk is a quick chat designed to give some initial strategies and connect you with resources to continue your learning. All AAC Tip Talks are offered by AAC mentors from across the global community. You can find this audio episode, as well as a video episode of this interview with Beth Poss on AAC Literacy and the SLP on our website at www.accessible.org. Hope you enjoy. Okay, so, hi Beth. Nice to have you. Hi Tana, it's great to be here. Wonderful. So um, today we have Beth Poss, who's going to join us and share a little bit about AAC and literacy, and I think more specifically the role of literacy instruction for the SLP. Um, So I want to start out, Beth, by just having you introduce yourself and kind of tell us a little bit about who you are and where you come from. Sure. So I am a speech language pathologist by training. Um, I also have a master's in education and I spent 30 years um, in a local school district that I live in, in in Maryland, Montgomery County Public Schools. I did kind of a little bit of everything as speech language pathologist, um, school-based speech language pathologist. I served as a member of our district's assistive technology team for 10 years. I was the special ed, um, uh, the special ed specialist Um, universal design for learning specialist for our elementary curriculum writing team for three years. And then I went into administration um, and um, uh, supervised pre-K special education programs and then ended up with three years as an assistant principal in an elementary school. So I feel like I really had, um, was able to have a really broad view of education um, in in that time. And now I am uh, working full-time for Lesson Picks, and I also do a lot of uh, consulting and um, training um, with teams all around uh, the country and starting some around the globe. So, so yeah, a bunch of different things. And literacy um, for uh, learners who have complex communication needs is really, you know, very near and dear to my heart. It's just always been um, you know, I've always just viewed that as that's the skill that these, that our AAC users need to really, truly become um, uh, independent, completely independent communicators who can say anything they want. You have to have that literacy piece in there. Yeah, you've had a full career so far, man, and you're not done yet. So not really cool. Yet, to, no. no, cool to hear where you come from. And um, as you kind of were walking through just now, your idea of where literacy fits in for complex communicators and how important it is for independence, it leads into my first question really nicely, which is, what is your overall teaching philosophy regarding literacy instruction for AAC users? Um, so you know, again, that belief that when we are working with AAC communicators. Um, the goal is snug, right? Spontaneous novel utterance generation. Um, And in order, and that's that ability to say anything to anyone at any time, right? That you have complete control of what you want to be able to say. Well, because no matter how fantastic any communication system and vocabulary system that we have out there is, um, you can never have all the words that you need to be able to say programmed on a device. And even if you could, 
just imagine the challenges of navigating to all of that vocabulary. And that's where that literacy piece comes in. So when an AAC communicator can spell and can read efficiently enough, effectively enough, um, that they can um, come up with the words that are exactly what they want to say, right? So that's sort of where that piece comes from. Does every AAC communicator need to be completely literate in order to be an effective communicator? Absolutely not. But by if we ignore the attempt to support these learners in becoming literate, then we are really doing them a disservice, right? And so I truly have the belief that all learners um, should be working on literacy skills and all learners have the ability um, to become readers and writers at some capacity level. Yeah, and that's um, leads me to kind of wonder, I know this is something that I've always wondered and stuff I've come across in research has given a little bit of direction here, but not fully. What, what is that like effective enough reader really? Is there a number? Is there a skill level? Is there some sort of stage that we kind of settle on or what does that mean? No, I mean, I don't think we ever settle on any stage, but I think we too often educators, speech language pathologists, families, whomever, kind of makes this decision, oh, we're only going to work on functional literacy, meaning we're only going to be able, we're only going to work on, oh, identifying environmental print or being able to, uh, you know, you know, so reading things like knowing which is the men's room and which is the women's room or, um, you know, being able to um, use visuals on a McDonald's menu to choose what they want to eat. Like, that's not enough. We close so many doors to um, individuals when we limit them to this so-called functional, you know, academics, right? So it's the idea that um, that we can allow any learner to have the that joy of books and that joy of literacy, like that 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 should be available to them and not and for them to be as independent as possible with that. So there, no, there is no, there's no like, okay, it's okay if you're, you know, you make it to, you know, emergent level, you know, one or conventional level five or whatever it is that you're gonna be. It's not about that. It's about um, opening doors and um, providing instruction um, that is, is grounded in the best practices for teaching reading and writing to anyone. So um, I recently heard Gretchen Hanser. Um, she's a, a occupational therapist and educator out of uh, New York um, who works with kids with very complex bodies. Um, and she, she made the statement that there's no um, secret special ed sauce for teaching reading and writing it is teaching reading and writing to children, um, to learners with complex bodies, with complex communication needs. You use the same research evidence-based practices that you use to teach literacy to typically developing young children. Um, you just overlay on top of that access methods, right? So that you are providing access for you know, physical disabilities or visual disabilities um, for attention, that it may take a lot longer. You're, you know, one of part of that access may be 
a much more increased amount of time to accomplish the same skills. But good literacy instruction is good literacy instruction, whether it's for a five-year-old or a 15-year-old who is, is just starting that journey of literacy instruction. Um, of a, and, and so that's really where we talk about that idea of emergent literacy instruction um, and, and what, that, what that looks like. Yeah, and it sounds like it's not, you know, AAC with literacy is not too far away from our thinking about communication right. with AAC, exactly. right? So, and it sounds like adjusting not only the tools that are needed to achieve these skills, but also being patient about the the trajectory and the timeline of those skills um, and that we don't normally go to six-year-olds and put them on a functional reading program if they don't have right these right. these complex needs so why do we do it for our kids who do exactly yeah very good point i never really thought about it that way and um it's really nice to kind of i think it's liberating to think about it in terms of typical development for a lot of professionals because we have really good maps for that we do right we have tons yeah. and tons of research around that excellent so thinking about my next question um what do you think are your top three tips for supporting literacy development for AAC users? I think you've given us one of probably many, which is follow typical development, but right. what are some others that come to mind? So some of the other things that, you know, I would kind of tip. So I'm trying to think like in terms of like something really practical is, is providing lots of opportunities for interacting with books. Um, so it's just sort of flooding. Think about some of the kids that we're using, uh, that, we're, that we're working with, that have these complex bodies, um, that are our complex communicators. They, and think about a typically developing young child, a typically developing young child who picks up a book and flips through it, right? Um, a child who has had um, significant disabilities and perhaps a very medically complex um, early life, they never have had that opportunity to like grab books off the shelf, open them up, turn them around, mouth them, all of that. You know, they're so busy being cared for, figuring out um, their medical needs, fig figuring out their physical needs. Um, it may even be somebody who's not significant physical needs. So maybe you've got, um, you know, somebody with autism um, and, but you were so busy dealing with other things, right? So, you know, nutrition or behavior or um, working on that early language, or these may have been individuals, children who um, rejected books, like it wasn't something of their interest, right? They, it, that wasn't what they're, um, that they were fascinated by, or you couldn't get that child to sit in your lap. Right? So just immersing them in books, having that literacy experience, um, and finding out, and with that, finding out what interests them, right? So if you have a kid who is um, obsessed um, with passionate about. It's a word I really like to use. Like, they're not perseverative on this. They are passionate about it, right? So if they are passionate about cars and trucks and wheels, then find books with cars and trucks and wheels that are about that and read those books and give them those opportunities and give them books that they can hold and interact with. And if they have physical, significant physical disabilities, how can we bring those books to them, right? Making them accessible. So if it's a, you know, if it's a book 
that's a, I'm just looking for something like on my desk or something like that, right? So if it's like a board book like this, you know, putting page fluffers in it, making it accessible for them, giving them opportunities on a an iPad to be able to um, flip through pages of a book. I know families worry about screen time, um, but I don't view reading a book on an iPad as screen time, right? That's like different than like watching, just like watching a video. And maybe it is watching a video. Maybe it's watching a video. If that's what that child's mm -hmm. preference is, then let's give them a video of somebody reading a mm -hmm. book where you're zooming in on the text and you're zooming in on the page. Um, so that's the first thing, right? That's the first big tip. Just give them access um, to books. Um, we also have to, so it's not just literacy isn't just the reading part, it's the writing part. And it's, so we also have to give them access to writing materials to, um, you know, so whether it is allowing that kid to, you know, with washable markers, marker up the wall or being able to paint in, you know, um, in shaving cream in the bathtub or um, getting magnetic letters on a um, cookie sheet um, and allowing them to push those and move those around or banging out on a keyboard, right? Those are all opportunities um, with literacy, with that written part of literacy um, that we need kids to be able to, to go through regardless of what their um, disability or ability might be. So giving them those, those opportunities for that. Um, and again, finding the things that engage them. Um, and so, so I guess that's like number two. And then um, number three, from the speech and language side of things is um, use this as an opportunity for language, right? There's so much language that we can work on with books. So I talk to university students who are graduate students in speech language pathology multiple times throughout a week. I provide training to them on lesson picks, right? And one of the things that I say every single time that I do a lesson picks training to that to those groups of grad students is that if you can anchor your speech and language therapy sessions around a book, you are going to get it's gonna be so much easier. Your planning is gonna be easier. The kid's gonna be more engaged. You're gonna be more engaged in it. There's so much that we can do with books. And so, you know, using a book, talking about the language, doing, you know, a picture walk of a book, right? So like, if you've got your book, like just doing that picture walk um, and reading it and reading it again and not making it about quizzing or what's right or what's wrong, but just using that book, getting manipulatives to go with it, making it as interactive as they need, um, as they need to be. Um, but using real books and using real, real literature, right? Using the things that we can use um, and not making it about, you know, can you answer this question? Can you answer this WH question that I'm gonna put to you? Um, so I guess, yeah, those would be my three big tips around literacy. Yeah. So I'm hearing like, first of all, opportunity, right. And removing some of those early opportunity barriers by perhaps even working with other disciplines yeah. to fill the gaps in your own scope of competence regarding bodies and vision that are not necessarily operating the way we need them to for traditional books and getting those supports in place so that kids can have positive experiences with books. Um, and then it sounds like really just making them even themes. I did this a lot and I still do, especially over telehealth. Man, books are so great to center your lessons because they're so transferable. 
right. to the two-dimensional platform. Um, yeah, and they set the stage for emotion and um, great language and really just, um, we had a fireside chat yesterday with Narissa and Hillary from Communicare, and they were talking about how they use themes, much like you'd find in a book, yeah. not because they want to teach necessarily the particular words in the book, but because it gives a platform for expressing opinions and thinking about, you know, what would you do if this happened to you? What would you do if you encountered a bear? So getting dialogue going around right. quizzing. Right. And you made a really great point. It's also about that text to self connection, right? So it's the idea like, you know, if we were, I've got the book in my hand, I went walking. So if we were reading this and I went walking, what did you see? And, you know, those of us that have read the 67 million times with kids know that that's a cat's tail, like it's peeking out. And so if that kid says, you know, cat or meow or, oh, or I have, or, you know, whatever it is, oh, you have a cat at home. You know, I, I don't have a cat at home. I have a dog at home. I wonder if we'll see a dog in the book, right? You know, all of that kind of stuff that we can get where they have to have those text to self connections in order to make meaning. Um, but that's where all that really rich language can come in as we are working um, with books. Yeah, I agree. I've totally seen that happen with complex communicators with typical language delay kind of presentation. It's really a fun way to, to tackle so many skills at one time. So when you're thinking about actually executing this, this idea of supporting literacy instruction, what are some of the barriers such as opportunity, attitudes, access? You've talked about a couple around yeah. opportunity and access, but what are some of those barriers that you've encountered in trying to do this with kids? I mean, I think one of the barriers is absolutely that, um, that attitude. The barriers is when, when individuals do not um, presume competence, right? They just make an assumption that this individual, that this student, you know, they're 15 years old already, or they're 10 years old, and they haven't made progress in this. And it's not important at this time, we need to train them, you know, they need to be, you know, um, career readiness skills is what we need to work on. So working on those barriers around mindset of the adults in their lives of what, um, of, of what they can do. Um, I would say, you know, that's probably one of the biggest barriers is that is that that mindset of, of ability. Um, and the reality is that every learner can make progress um, towards literacy. You just you might be starting at a different point, right, with someone um, than another. And you might be starting at at simply being able to, you know, have some concepts of print and understanding that um, a book is a meaningful way to, is a meaningful experience, right? Like just that engaging with a book, engaging with text is meaningful and enjoyable. Um, and that kind of takes you to, you've got to, one of the other barriers is finding what is interesting, right? So I've got the book, I Went Walking, which is perfect for my two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, maybe even seven-year-old. But I'm not going to use this book with my 10-year-old or 15-year-old. Um, so it's finding what's going to be interesting to them. So I'm not going to have a book I went walking about, you know, that's this, but I might have a created book that's I went walking. What did I see? You know, um, 
I saw the Gap store. I saw, you know, the ice cream store. I saw, you know, Justin Bieber, whatever it is, right? So it's finding what is going to engage. So using that learner's interest, doing an interest profile, finding what they like, what are they passionate about, right? I said that with the, with the trucks and the cars, but with older kids, it might be, you know, the music that they like or the things that they like to eat or the thing, you know, any of that. So finding that, those resources, which oftentimes means creating our own resources, right? You know, you're not necessarily going to find um, resources at an emergent literacy level, although there certainly are commercially available things out there. Um, you might not be able to find those as easily. So, so either creating them or finding them on other resources. And one of my favorites for that is, is Tar Heel Reader, um, which is a fabulous website. And we can talk a little bit more about that too, in terms of the communication strategy, but finding those resources um, for those emergent readers to be able to engage in so that they can, they can find reading and literacy um, a meaningful activity in their lives. Yeah, and kind of speaking to that piece that you were describing earlier about some kids having early experiences of being really disinterested in books, um, maybe even averse to the experience right. of sitting with a caregiver and enduring perhaps an overly demanding book reading session or right. something like that. I know I've seen a few of those in my time. You will sit in my lap for the next right. 20 minutes <laughs> and, while I read to you. And we will read every page right, and every right. word on it. Right. <laughs> and and maybe it's about letting that kid flip through that book, even if you, well, it's okay. Like, oh, they turned it. I see, what do you, oh, what do you see? Oh, wait, wait, well, you think we're going to see something else there, right? However quickly they need to, um, uh, you know, having those experiences and that it's okay if they don't stay on that page, um, you know, until we find the thing that maybe they, that does capture them. Yeah. So thinking also about those situations, maybe between professionals and kids or even professionals helping caregivers understand how to modify experiences, what would you say are some of the catalysts that really make this kind of instruction successful? You've mentioned a few already. I'm gonna reiterate them just okay. to bring those to the head. So yeah. I feel like you're saying adapt to interests. Yeah. You're saying adapt to needs, support physical needs, visual needs. Um, you're saying assume that the child is capable. So adapt right. attitudes. Anything else you would add? Well, I would say, you know, we have to, there's certain things that we have to start with, right? So one of the first things that we just simply have to start with is the alphabet, right? That's a critical piece in reading. Um, and so making that alphabet instruction um, and meaningful that so that it's part of those print concepts, right? Like, you know, if you look at a print concept checklist that uh, that somebody understands that this is a picture and that these, this is text, that these are words and this is a picture, but that this has something to do with this picture, right? Um, so, you know, starting with those print concepts with um, learning the alphabet, making um, the alphabet meaningful. And there's a lot of really good things that we see happening in kindergarten classes, right? So if you are in a, if you're in a good kindergarten class, you're gonna see that kindergarten teacher um, talking about what a student's name starts with. Well, we need to do that with our older kids too. That's probably the most meaningful text, the most meaningful letters to any individual is the letters in 
their name. So that's like often a place to start. Like, let's find the letters in your name and not just the first letter of your name. So we're not just going to go looking around for B's for Beth, but we're also going to look around for where do we see an E and where do you see a T? Because there's a T in Beth and where's there an H? And there's so, you know, the whole philosophy around teaching, um, around teaching the alphabet. And if we want to connect that back to like our speech language pathologists, let's think about all of those things like E is for elephant and E, e is for egg and E, e is for, you know, um, I was going to say eagle, but you know, that might not exactly be like, you know, the thing that the person, but again, connecting it back to that vocabulary and those experiences, I mean, all of those things. And so we can make that a part of our language learning experience too, right? Um, it doesn't have to just be thinking about it only from, we can't, we can never separate literacy and language. They're so mm. intertwined, right? You don't yeah. get one without the other. I mean, you yeah. can have language without literacy, but you can't have literacy without language. It's a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And thinking, I mean, it's, it seems like what you're proposing really is a starting point is to just add opportunity to have access and exposure to the print in your sessions might be like a catalyst, right? Just starting with the right point, which comes from understanding what's typical right in development of literacy skills, which I don't know about everybody else, but I didn't get enough instruction around literacy in my graduate program for learners without complex needs. Right. I don't think we do. I think I actually did a poll on Facebook a while back to see like on a the like um, an SLP Facebook group to see, you know, did you have a literacy um, course in your graduate training? And while there were a number of people that had, I don't, I mean, I certainly didn't. Now I'm old as dirt and I certainly um, <laughs> didn't have one, um, but I don't think it is necessarily like a commonplace part. It, it might be that there's some things touched on, but I don't think it, and, and that's, that's okay. That's why we need to educate ourselves about what literacy is. And, you know, if you are working in a school setting, for example, you should have lots of people that you should be as a speech language pathologist that you can go to, um, to learn about that. And if you're not working in a school setting, there's a lot of resources out there. Like I highly recommend, um, Karen Erickson's book, Comprehensive Literacy for All. I love this little, it's like a little tiny book, right? You can read it, you know, in one sitting. Um, and it's called No More Teaching a Letter a Week. Um, and it's a great one on, on teaching. It's about alphabet teaching, like the, the kind of like passe idea of you teach, you know, and this is for Gen Ed. This is talking like to kindergarten teachers and pre-K teachers, right? That you teach a, you're doing A this week and you're doing B. And the research is that, no, 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 we will not get enough exposure to letters. You mm -hmm. won't even get through two cycles um, of letters in the course of a school year if you're doing that. So you need to do like a letter. It's the idea, letter of the day, right? And multiple letter letters day, yeah. of the week, right? So kind of those ideas. Um, you know, this has just sort of been a Bible for me for a really long time. It's a handbook of early literacy research, um, which really just goes into, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tome, right? This is not a, this is not a quick read um, yeah. or a beach read, like I would say the others are, <laughs> but it's a great resource to, um, to look up and find some of that information um, about literacy. And I think as a as speech language pathologist, when we are working you know, we have an obligation to it. It is in our, it is in our ASHA scope of practice 
to address literacy. And whether you're talking about um, learners with complex communication needs or whether you're talking about um, learners maybe with learning disabilities or um, we know that there's a higher incidence of um, issues with spelling um, for and reading for individuals who have speech and language impairments um, because of the relationship to speech and language to being able to write if you can't pronounce mm -hmm. a word correctly it's a lot harder for you to learn how to spell that word correctly because of the mental um, and auditory model that you have in your head for so it's it's part of our scope of practice and it's something that we do need to um, learn to if we if we didn't get training on it or if that training was a really long time ago um, you need to to get training on it um, and make it a part of your practice yeah and it sounds like really we we have a primary role to advocate for our kids as well when we know they come to the table with these histories of needs in speech and language development and then of course our complex communicators who come to the table with so many areas of need um, that it really may be us that comes out and says have we considered the fact that we need to be focusing on literacy and maybe even really hitting it hard early on right if we're going to yeah. take a long time then we've got to not wait I would it assume. needs to be a part of every like there's no reason you can't you know there's two different ways that we can go about and both are good ways right there's you can have explicit reading instruction and embedded reading instruction um, and, and I, I should say literacy instruction. It's not just reading, it's writing too. So you can have explicit, that means like, this is the letter A. Do you see how it's made? You know, A, apple, ah, whatever, that's explicit, right? Embedded is we're reading this book and, oh, you know, um, I see a cat. Oh, look at that. Hey, we were talking about the letter C. Did you notice that the cat the word cat starts with the letter C, right? So that's that more embedded as opposed to, you know, that explicit, but we, we can do both. But as a speech language pathologist, we might be doing more of the embedded in yeah. our language therapy kind of situations. Um, it also means though that we have an obligation to understand what's best practice and what is not effective mm -hmm. um, and understanding the difference between using so with our augmentative communicators we're, communicators we're using symbols for them you know most augmentative communicators are using symbol based systems and there's text with those symbols we don't you know we don't typically not have the text there with those symbols but we're using symbols with it which is different to communicate because that's so you can quickly visually locate an object, uh, an image um, that you're communicating with so that you can attach meaning to it um, when you are not, when you do not have the literacy skills yet to decode the word that's on there. Sometimes it's for things, for certain systems. So for example, like if you're using Unity where there's very specific um, visual information coded into that image and it represents multiple words or categories, um, you're using that visual representation. But with reading, it's the text, it's the letters. And we need to focus on having individuals learn to read and decode, not to use a picture to cue them what that word is. That does not go along with best practices in reading instruction. And as a matter of fact, um, there has been, there had been 
in the not too distant past, uh, um, a, a philosophy around whole language and reading instruction where you would do a cueing system. Like if you were teaching a typically developing kid to read, you know, you'd say, oh, you know, if you can't figure out that word, look at the picture. And what is the picture? We don't even prescribe to that method of teaching reading, right? We want kids to decode word. Yes, the pictures give us clues about and information about it, but you're not learning to read a word based on the picture um, that is with it. And you're certainly not going to lean, learn to read words by having a picture for each word. And so that's like one of the things I think um, as speech language pathologists is we have to be able to understand the difference between using symbols for communication, picture symbols for communication, and not using picture symbols for literacy instruction um, and to, to be able to kind of separate those out. And so you've given a couple great resources for people who are interested to go and learn more, a few textbooks, which I am happy to link um, to, this, to this episode. Um, I'm wondering where else do you think um, individuals should go if they wanna know whatever level of this continuum of competence in this skill, where, where, where would they go for more information on how to learn about it? Well, I think there's, I mean, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of great podcasts. There's a lot of great blogs and resources, but I'm going to be starting a, a course soon um, on um, AAC literacy and the SLP. So that will be one place um, through um, um, accessible. So I'm going to be um, starting in June a course, a six session course specifically um, around this topic of AAC literacy and the SLP. It's going to be on accessible. I'm really excited about it. It'll be six one hour sessions where we'll really be able to take a lot of this information that I've just been sort of casually discussing here and flesh it out a lot more so that um, a speech language pathologist who is working with um, individuals with complex communication needs can walk away and feel like they have some tools um, to be able to, to utilize um, in supporting um, those students, those learners um, with, um, with literacy. And um, again, it's not, it may not be so that you can become the expert um, in literacy, but so that you can utilize the work that you're doing with an AAC communicator um, in supporting their communication by incorporating literacy um, into it, right? We want to, we want to, we want our AAC communicators to get to snug um, and, um, and to be able to um, have that ability to communicate with anyone anywhere about anything that spontaneous novel utterance generation. So yeah, um, there's lots of other people that I can tell you, you know, if you ever see anything that Karen Erickson is doing, um, a webinar, um, an article, read that. Caroline Musselwhite is another one. Uh, Caroline Musselwhite's a speech language pathologist um, who is doing just fabulous things in the world of, of literacy and AAC and complex communicators. Um, so those are, you know, two of my go-to gurus. Um, 
Yeah, and I've seen your syllabus, Beth, and you not only are going to have laundry lists of resources for everybody, uh, including, I imagine, a lot from these um, pioneers in the AEC and literacy field, but you have this beautiful breakdown, I think, in your series where you're, I, I believe, really coming to it at more of an introductory right. level. Um, so if you are thinking about the way you want to present this information compared to how you've received it as a more seasoned professional, what do you think? think that you would say sets your training apart from some of those that you've taken? I, I think it is, it's what you said. We're going to start at this develop, like what is the developmental steps of literacy? What is, what is, what does that mean? Like what do typically developing kids go through um, as they develop those emergent literacy skills, right? And then how can we take some specific strategies that we know are really effective for moving those learners along and lay the communication on top of it. Like, so it's not, it's not to the, it's not like, I'm not going to be talking to our audience as if they are, um, you know, a reading teacher or a special educator, although they are more than welcome to be a part of this um, training, but as a speech language pathologist, where does your role fit into this? Um, so that if your goals are to develop um, communicative competency, but how can we bring literacy into it so that you're working together, right? The same way that we want that classroom teacher to be um, addressing the language part of things, mm -hmm. right? It's a part, it, you can't tease it, you just can't tease those things apart. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know I'm excited to take it because this is not an area that I'm comfortable with, um, although it is validating, too, if you've at all done any literacy work. I mean, just I've learned so much having my own children right. because I finally got a chance to see what does this actually look like for kids to learn how to read. Um, and it's been really fun to just speckle in these little bits of, of print awareness and phonology, you know, phonological awareness right. and just even being able to understand the importance in, of having literacy features in the plan for AAC systems. Yeah. And, right? Right. And we're going to take yeah. a look at all of that. We're going to take a look at the developmental stages. Um, what is emergent literacy? The developmental stages of emergent literacy, um, you know, alphabet, phonemic, uh, you know, alphabet knowledge, um, phonological awareness, um, looking at shared reading, looking at writing, um, and then how do we put that all together and what are resources that we can use? And so we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with that, um, kind of putting a bow on it. And uh, so then hopefully people will hopefully every session, folks will walk away with um, strategies as they can use, you know, the next day with students yeah. that they're working with. But by the end of the six sessions that um, folks will be feeling like they are um, really doing right by the the students that they're working with and supporting them as speech language pathologists um, in addressing literacy and language together. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I can't wait. So I'm going to make sure we have all the information about the course included in this post. Is there anything else you'd like to wrap up with? Any closing words of literacy wisdom for everybody? Um, you know, I think what I the the big message is. I don't know about you, but to me, um, I don't know what my life would be like without books and without reading. Um, 
my world is richer for the worlds that I travel to in the books that I read. And I want every child, student, individual that I have the opportunity to touch to have that same feeling that a book is um, going to open the world to them. Um, and so, you know, that's how I've always looked at it. Like, I want everybody to have that same experience with reading. It might not be the experience I have, but I want it to be, you know, there for them. Yeah, I think that's really important because it's joy, right? Yes, it's not it just the access to knowledge, it's also access to joy and um, the same joys that you and I have, having bodies that work for us and literacy skills we can access. So I agree, I, I see my kids even just learning more about their world through the books that they read um, and would love to be a part of that for every kid I touch. So exactly. thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. All right, Beth, thanks so much for your time today. All right, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of AEC Tip Talks. Remember, you can watch this interview in video form on our blog. You can also have access there to all of the print materials mentioned in this episode as well. If you're interested in learning more about other AEC topics or taking trainings, connecting with mentors and more, visit our website at www.accessible.org. That's A-A-C-C-E-S-S-I-B-L-E dot org.